0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Hosea. On Wednesday evening, we'll be going back to chapter 1 and go through it verse by verse. But because um, uh, there are several verses, one in chapter 5 and two in chapter 6, that deal with our study with the book of Daniel and Revelation, I wanted to connect those dots this morning. I've entitled Morning's Message, God's Timeline. And let's go where Paul read for us earlier. Verse 15 of chapter 5 and the two verses in chapter 6. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense, and then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will diligently seek me and will say, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Now, as we finish up with Daniel and Revelation, uh, one of the things that we're discovering in the Old Testament is that the prophet, whether it's Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Daniel, uh, they are speaking directly to the people about that time frame. It's directed to them. Uh, but yet, having said that, now I, before we actually get into the study, I have to lay a little foundation because uh, we have a rule of taking, not taking things out of context. There, I believe there is an exception to that rule that I'm going to point out this morning. For example, the first 14 verses of chapter 5 deal only with the judgment of the northern kingdom. But what I want to do is show you several, I could show you many, but I just want to take three, and I want to show you that while the prophet is speaking directly to the people in their own time, all of a sudden he'll throw in a prophecy, and uh, some of them will be thousands of years apart, such as the case this morning. Um, so let's turn, for starters, to Daniel chapter 9. I warn you, I'm going to make you turn some pages this morning, so be prepared. Prepared for that. We just finished Daniel, so I'll just go back one book. And our first example of a gap in time is, of course, uh, Daniel 9 um, begins with Daniel, said he was studying the book of Jeremiah, and he realized that 70 years was determined, and that's what Ezekiel and Jeremiah is all about. He's telling them, You guys are going to go into captivity for 70 years. And then in the middle of the prayer, the angel Gabriel appears and gives him the prophecy that we refer to as Daniel's 70 weeks. It is a 490-year period of time just for Israel. It tells us in verse 26 that after 483 of these years, or 177,880 days, that the Messiah would actually arrive on the scene. Daniel 9 tells us the very day that Jesus would be worshipped, the only time he really allowed himself to be worshipped as God, was April 6, 32 AD. We call it Palm Sunday. And uh, as they were riding that donkey down the road, they were worshipping the Lord. Verse 26 tells us that Messiah is going to be cut off. The word cut off is the word krat. In Hebrew, it means ex- executed. So this, for any Jewish person to just look honestly at Daniel chapter 9, it's, it's telling us that their Messiah is going to come. He's going to be executed, but not for himself. So when Pilate examined him, what did he come up with? I can't find anything wrong with this man. Four times he came out. And his wife comes to to him and says, Don't mess around with this guy. I had a dream last night about him. And Pilate tried to get anything so that he wouldn't be executed. So he had him scourged. Brought him back and said, Behold the man. And even with that, he gave an an alternative between Barabbas and Jesus, and they chose Barabbas. So when it says here that he was cut off, not for himself. We had communion this morning. And we had communion because he was cut off for me. And he was cut off for you. But certainly not for himself. Then it says in um, uh, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is a prophecy. And it is a prophecy um, concerning the second t- uh, temple being destroyed. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, by the way, tomorrow is Monday. One week ago, Monday was the 9th of Av. Does that mean anything to you you've ever uh, did a study on the 9th of Av? The 9th of Av is the date when Solomon's temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's when they went into captivity. That's Ezekiel and Jeremiah. But right here it says that the sanctuary is going to be destroyed And this time, it's by the Romans that would happen. uh, Jesus said, because you didn't know the time of my coming, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. It's going to be destroyed. And that was in 32 AD, well, 38 years later. In 70 AD, the Romans' 10th legion came down under Titus and destroyed it. But both of those happened on the 9th of Av. And if you want an extra credit assignment, just Google the 9th of Av and see all the things that happened to the Jewish people on that particular date. It's mind-boggling. But that's too much of a rabbit tail, and I can't go past that. (laughs) Now, between verses 26 and 27, and here's the reason I'm taking you here, there's a gap. It doesn't tell you there's a gap. It just says that uh, 483 weeks... When that comes, the Messiah will be cut off. But then it says he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. There is a gap of 2,000 years plus between verse 26, when Jesus came, and when the Antichrist comes and has a peace treaty that he violates. It says in the middle of the week he'll break it. And there's this event that is reoccurring over and over again as we go through the Bible called the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24. When you see the abomination of desolation, he tells Israel, run. Run into the wilderness. Don't go back into your house. Pray that it's not wintertime. And um, it's because then there will be great tribulation." So here is a reference to it in verse 27. My point is that between these two verses, you have a couple thousand years. Let me show you another one. Go to Isaiah chapter 61. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Afterwards, he was driven into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by the devil And after that, he leaves and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes to Nazareth and he reaches for the, uh, somebody handed him a scroll, and the Bible indicates that he looked for a particular passage. That passage was Isaiah 61, and I'm going to read up to verse 2. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach Good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Notice there's a comma there, not a period, but that's where Jesus stopped. And he closed the book at this point, and he says, today, in your hearing, this prophecy is fulfilled. Now, what I want to point out is why did Jesus not finish the sentence? Why did he stop after a comma? Because the next thing in the prophecy is, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, this is a reference to the Great Tribulation, when the abomination of desolation will take place by the Antichrist. What's your point, Dwight? Well, between a comma, not even at the end of a sentence, we have a gap of 2,000 years. This has not yet been fulfilled. And it's in the, in the middle of, uh, of, of this chapter. We, again, we have the gap. I'll just take you to one more. Let's go to Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah is right before the end of the Old Testament. The last book is Malachi, but this is a prophecy. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, which was fulfilled also on Palm Sunday. Verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now remember when the the Lord uh, talked to the disciples and he says, now, I need a donkey. And I want you to go over to this place over here. There's a donkey over there. Go get him for me. And by the way, if the owner says anything, just tell him that the Lord has need of him and everything will be cool. It had to be just mind-boggling to walk with Jesus. So what do they do? They go to the place that the Lord told them to go. There. Sure, there's a donkey. And so they start ripping off the donkey. <laughs> and the owner says, what do you guys think you're doing? And they just said, the Lord has need of him. End of discussion. And they just bring him. By the way, this donkey had never been ridden on before. And if you know anything about breaking a horse or a donkey, they don't like being sat on for the first time. But no problem for the Lord. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled um, on the day that we call Palm Sunday. But the very next verse is about the second coming. So between verse 9 and 10, it tells us that that when he comes, he will speak peace to the nations... And his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. This can only be a reference to the millennium. So my point before we get into Hosea is there's many other places I could go. I just pointed out three where sometimes it's a comma. Sometimes it's one verse to the next. In this case, there's 2,000 years between verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 is about his first coming. Verse 10 is about his. His second coming. So, as we get into our study this morning, God has a timeline. And nothing is going to stop it. Good place for an amen. God has a timeline. He says, to a jot or a tittle, it all must be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not the things that are written in this book. So, in Galatians 4, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. Now let's go back, and with that much of a foundation, um, let's go back to Hosea, because the first five chapters that we're going to be going through verse by verse and chapter by chapter this coming Wednesday deals not with the southern two tribes that Ezekiel and Jeremiah were talking about, where they went into captivity for 70 years and then came back. What we have in view in our study here of um, Hosea is dealing with the 10 northern tribes that were taken into captivity in 710 B.C. So one thing we learn as our study in Hosea is we're not in a chronological order here. Um, The 10 tribes are already gone. Have you ever heard people say the ten lost tribes of Israel? Guess what? They are not lost. (laughs) Revelation 7 says 12,000 from the tribe of Ephraim, Naphtali. And the list goes on, naming the 12 tribes. 12,000 from each tribe. They're not lost. And they're not the tribe of Dan. that ended up in Europe, as some would teach or believe. So we have... Um God, this chapter continues to deal with the sins of the Northern Kingdom and the fact that judgment is coming upon them, therefore it is not really a very happy or pleasant section of the Bible. Uh, we must keep in mind the personal background of the prophet Hosea. he was a young man, he fell in love with a beautiful young woman who became a prostitute, and God sent Hosea to marry her in spite of this. He loved her, and he married her, and she had borne three children. And after she bore the three children, she left and played the harlot again. And again, Hosea is told to go after her and to bring her back to himself. And uh, Hosea had a broken heart, had a broken home. But this background, he said to the, Kingdom of Israel, God said that you're playing the harlot, and you have been unfaithful to me, so as we get into Hosea, what we have is this guy living out a story so that the people would get the message: Hosea go marry a pr- prostitute, have a couple kids, and then she 's going to leave and be a prostitute again. You love her, so you go after her you, you have her come back home and The point of of the early part of this is really now, my title in chapter 5 says, The Judgment of Israel. They never came back into the land again. Uh, They were dispersed. And that's different from what we've been studying in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where it was only 70 years. 70 years they got to come back. But not the northern ten tribes. They were dispersed. Um, I didn't share this in the first service, but... This is where the Samaritans come from. Some of the Jews that stayed in the land married Assyrians. So they're half breeds. They were half Jewish, half Assyrian. And they became Samaritans. And, um, you know, in John 4, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. And Jesus went out of his way to talk to a Samaritan. And she says, well, who do you think you are? We don't get along. You're talking to me. Why? He says, uh, why don't you give me some water? We'll talk about it. And by the way, I got living water, and you wouldn't have to come here every day uh, for, your, for your water. And she says, well, sir, give me some of this water. She called him a Jew at first, and now all of a sudden he's up to the rank of sir. He says, okay, I'll, uh, go get your husband, and I'll tell you how it works. Well, I really uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you know what? You're telling me the truth. You've been married five times. And the guy you're living with right now, nobody knows about. And she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. We went from Jew to sir to now he's a prophet. But the thing is, you see, Jesus never takes that route to go to the Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. They wouldn't do it because they didn't get along. The Samaritans taught that Noah's Ark is on Mount Gerizim. They taught that Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Gerizim. And so to a Jew, this is, you know, blasphemy. Of course, none of that. And then because of all this, and he told her something nobody else knew. She said, you know, it came bubbling up. She had questions deep down inside. Nobody knew those things, except he did. And as a result, the Bible says in the Proverbs, a wise man draws out counsel like a deep well. And he was being wise with her. And she was beginning to open up because deep down inside she had questions. And now she asked him. She said, you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place to work, but we worship over here on Mount Gerizim. Which one is it? And he said, neither. Neither? No. He says, the time is coming and now is when the Father is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And then she hit the $64,000 question. She says, you know, I've heard that the Messiah is coming. You know, he's now she wants to know, who am I talking to here? And the Lord looked at her and says, the one who is talking to you is he, I am. She left her buckets. She went down into the, City, And she told the whole city, come and meet this man who told me everything that nobody else could do. And they went out and they got saved. And they got saved not because of what she said. No, we went and we believed because of his words that he spoke to us. And boy, did I get sidetracked on that one. (laughs) But the the idea here is the theme uh, uh, is one that leads... To judgment. And from verses 1 to 14, that's the context. So now we're in verse 15, everything changes. And as we look at verse 15 this morning, I want to show you where this prophecy fits into the studies that we just finished up with Daniel and Revelation. I like to think of it as just putting the cherry on top of these two books. And that Hosea actually gives us information that you don't get in Daniel, that you don't get in Revelation. And it's right here in verse 15. Let's read it. It says, I will return again to my place. So here's a completely different change of subject and thought. I will return to my place. First question is, who is I and what is the place? The I is Jesus. He says, no man has ever ascended into heaven except the Son." And he was sent by the Father from heaven. So when he says, I will return to my place, in order to return, it means he had to be there before. What was that place? Heaven. So the Lord says, I'm going back to heaven. Until you acknowledge your offense. The word there, notice, it doesn't say, it means you could say your sin. But what I want you to notice is that it's singular and not plural. It's not sins or offenses. It's sin, one sin, and one offense. I'm not coming back until you confess your fault. Not one fault is in John 1, verse 11, where it says Jesus came into his own people, and his own people wouldn't receive him. He came into his own, and they wouldn't receive him. That is a sin of Israel. The Messiah had come. A matter of fact, that day on Palm Sunday where we were just reading in Zechariah about the donkey, they were singing hallelujah, hosanna, praise the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made and we're going to rejoice and we're going to be glad in it. And um, when he said this is the day, you ever see the hallmark card that says this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Well, that's fine. It's a nice verse but that is taking it out of context because when they were singing Psalm 118, that's where it comes from, we call that a messianic psalm. And what it meant was this is the day, this day that he was riding the donkey, April 6, 32 AD. This is that time. And um, they acknowledged some did, but as a nation, no. They rejected him. And, um, and then it says, they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will diligently seek me. Now he's talking about a remnant of people who are going to go through a terrible, terrible period of time. That's why Jesus said, when the abomination of desolation happens, run. And... Um, uh, because when they run, the Bible actually tells us that the devil comes down in uh, chapter 12. There's Michael and Gabriel. Uh, I mean, uh, Michael the archangel and the devil and his angels. They got Star Wars. Only they're angel wars. And the Bible tells us that he was cast out of heaven. And I'm going to quote Revelation 12. When the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, that would be Israel, who gave birth to the male child. Well, the child is Jesus. He's uh, the, son of, um, uh, the son of Judah. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, time, and half a time. So the devil knows that he's got just a little bit of time. How much exactly? Exactly three and a half years. And the marking point is this event where the abomination of desolation, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, is the Antichrist going into the temple that's rebuilt. It's in the news every day, by the way, the Temple Mount, if you've been noticing that. And um, he goes into the temple, and he tells everybody that he's God. And unless you worship him and take his mark, you die. Simple as that. So that's the event. But Jesus says, now, Israel, Matthew 24, when you see that happen, that's the time to run. Because he has three and a half years where he's going to come after you. And so the dragon or the devil spewed out from his mouth like a flood after the woman who's running that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now, I personally believe this is symbolic, probably an army. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood or the army, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And some of you are thinking, are you kidding me? Are you trying to tell me that the earth just opened up and swallowed up the bad guys? That ever happened before? Answer... Yes, that has happened before. The rebellion of Korah. Moses, just who do you think you are? You think you're the only one who can talk for us around here? I'm Korah. I think I'll start my own little following. And Moses falls on his face and says, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to get up tomorrow morning and draw a line in the sand. You say, those who are with Moses, stand over here. Those who are with Korah over there. Okay, Lord. He gets up in the morning and says, Who's ever with, uh with the Lord... And believe I speak for him, and come on over here. And whoever believes that it's Korah, you guys go stand over there. And they no sooner got over there, what happens? The earth opens up, devours everybody that was with Korah, and then closes right back up again. I believe the Holy Spirit does things like that. So when we read Revelation chapter 12, and he actually protects this one third of the remnant. That is literal. And the dragon was enraged. He couldn't get them. Now, do you remember when we're studying Daniel? It says when the Antichrist is making his conquest, there's three lands that he can't get access to. Edom, Ammon, and Moab. Remember? What today would be modern Jordan. That's exactly where Petra is. And when he tells them to run into the wilderness, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 16. And I'll show you exactly what that is. I have to talk about chapter 17 just because it could happen tomorrow. Just one verse. Assad, president of Syria, his capital, his palace is in Damascus. And um, he is responsible for killing a quarter of a million of his own people. Some of them with nerve gas. And the Bible says that this prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city. It will be a ruinous heap. That's never happened. Their their claim to fame in Damascus is we're the oldest continually inhabited city on the planet. And it's true. But it's also the headquarters for Hamas. Iran has got its... it's, um, Um, army and so does Russia these days in Syria the world is focused on Syria right now and all they have to do is somebody from Hezbollah from Damascus just lob one of those poisonous shells over the Golan Heights and bye bye Damascus you know why I say that Israel has a saying it's never again what happened at the Holocaust will never happen again and you, you go ahead and launch one of those things, and you hit one of our cities, we'll see how long Damascus is around for. Gang, this could literally happen tomorrow. I mean, we just put one of our aircraft carriers off the coast of Haifa for a reason. And it's to flex our muscles a little bit. And that little short, fat guy from North Korea, we want him to know that we mean, we, we mean we mean business with him, too. You know, the guy is an egomaniac. And he's just crazy enough to think that he can uh, lob a nuke and hit Seattle. Well, bye bye, North Korea, if that happens. And we all know that's what would happen it would start World War III. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars in the last days. And there's all kinds of rumors of wars going on right now, those are part of the signs of the times. I brought you to this chapter 16, though, tells us where they run to. When Jesus says run, well, Isaiah 16 tells us to run where they run to. He says, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah. Now, Selah is Petra. It's also called Basra. To the mountains of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall the daughters of Moab be at the fords of Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day, hide the outcast. Well, who are they? They are the ones that are fleeing from the Antichrist. Who is he asking to hide them? Moab. Moab is modern day Jordan. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab, or Jordan. Be a shelter from the face of the spoiler, another name for the Antichrist. For the extortioner is at an end, devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. Where do they go? Isaiah chapter 16, the Lord is asking Jordan. And again, Daniel said that the Antichrist is not able to get his hands on Ammon, Moab, and Edom. So now we know where they go. Um, Let's go back to Hosea, verse 15. In their affliction, they will diligently seek me. Okay, here they are being supernaturally protected for three and a half years. And remember that Jesus said to Israel, uh, here it says they're going to seek them, but it's only during the affliction process that they seek the Lord. So they're in Petra and in Jordan, but Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 35, he's talking to Israel. He said, see, your house has left you desolate. Assuredly, I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, he said that 2,000 years ago. And now he says, I'm going back to my place, heaven, until you acknowledge your offense, which is, I am the Jewish Messiah, and you didn't believe me when I came. That's the offense. They have to acknowledge it. What does it take for them to acknowledge it? Affliction. No hope. No hope. I mean, the Battle of Armageddon is the nations of the world getting ready to take on Jerusalem. Any Jews left and those that are at Petra? All the armies of the world are going to be gathered in a place called the Valley of Megiddo. It stretches from Mount Hermon, Haifa, all the way to Petra. Now, in Revelation, it tells us that the blood is going to flow after this battle up to the horse's bridle for 12,000 furlongs. How far is that? 184 miles. You know how far it is from Haifa to Petra? Yeah, you guessed it, exactly 184 miles. That's where the armies of the world line up. Every general who ever saw it said, this is the most unbelievable uh, place to have a battle than anywhere on, on the planet. And so what happens is in their affliction, they're finally broken. And finally, we have the Lord. um, They realize that they're about to be destroyed, so they say, help, Lord. In other words, they're saying, we acknowledge you as our Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, mind you, during this period of time, Moses and Elijah are preaching the gospel. 144,000, they're preaching the gospel. So there's a lot of people who are saved, Jews and Gentiles. But they finally call on the Lord, and now we have the Lord interrupting the battle of Armageddon. You know the battle of Armageddon doesn't even take place. Jesus just shows up, and when he shows up, he speaks a word, and they're all taken care of. They're all killed, except for the false prophet, and the Antichrist who are thrown directly, the Bible says, into the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever and ever. All right, now when and where. Let's go to chapter 6. They eventually call on the Lord, and he comes. Here we read, this is that cry of repentance. They said, come, let's return to the Lord. He has torn, but he'll heal us up. He has stricken, he will bind us up. And so we, we read this, and we know that this breaking process is a three-and-a-half-year uh, period of time. Um, then it says, after two days, he will revive us. All right, let's just go through the order of what we have here. And while I'm going through the order, I'm going to have you turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. What do we have so far? The abomination of desolation takes place one-third of the Jews run to Jordan. In Daniel chapter 12, we learned that the second coming is 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation. Yeah, you heard me correctly. I'm actually telling you that to the day the second coming of Jesus Christ. Just like in Daniel 9, it tells us to the very day the first coming of Jesus Christ. What we don't know is when the rapture is. Now, It can happen after the picnic, but it'd be okay if it happened before the picnic. (laughs) I'd be okay if it happened right now. Amen to that. But we don't know the day or the hour. No man does. It's going to be normality. Church picnic. Baptism. People getting married. Everyday life. And uh, it'll be life as usual, as it was in the days of Noah. What were they doing? Eating and drinking, marrying giving in marriage, everyday stuff. So no man knows the day or the hour. The Lord only does. And as we think about it, I just think our God is so long-suffering, is the right word, not willing that any should perish. I know what lies ahead. And I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go through the Great Tribulation, really, or to hell. No matter how upset you might be with somebody, I still don't want him to go to hell. So we, we, if you're in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, when is this going to happen? After two days. It says, after two days, the Lord is going to revive us. All right, uh, there have been people who have misused the scripture, and but in this case, I'm going to prove that it is applicable to the verse we just read. It says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is just one day to the lord now they're saying that after two days the lord is going to revive us how long has it been since uh, jesus was here and said you're not going to see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord 2000 years to the to the lord well, a couple days but then notice and this is where i can prove that we're talking one year for a thought one day for a thousand years because of verse three. Uh, verse two where it says, And on the third day so two thousand years has gone by, but on the third day we'll actually live with him. So first they're revived after two days, but then they're going to live with him for the third day. How long is the day? One thousand years. How long is a millennium and how long is a kingdom age? One thousand years. And we will rule and reign with him. So these scriptures tell us it refers to the kingdom and uh, the the time frame that's there. Now, I'm going to try to put you in Jewish shoes this morning. And I've been to uh, Auschwitz and Birkenau. I've been to Yad Vashem many, many, many times. There's no words. And uh, what I'm about to tell you is try to set the stage for what They will go through emotionally when they finally realize, yes, Jesus really was their Messiah all this time. you got to understand from their perspective, when I was in Auschwitz more than twice and the third time, I I realized I can only do this by myself because there's no words. Because I found out that before they entered some of the chambers, the gas chambers, on the front of it it would say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now put yourself in Jewish shoes and you're trying to witness to a Jew that Jesus is your Messiah. And they got the marks from Auschwitz on their numbers on their hands. They're not very open, to say the least. And imagine, though, that it was really true. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 12. And it's actually recorded their emotion when they realized it was really him. I'm looking at Zechariah chapter 12. Um, Chapter twelve, verse ten, says that I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on him who they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieves for him as one grieves for his firstborn. The next verses eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen talks about the different tribes of Israel and all of them saying, like the tribe of Nathan, they're just going to get away. so I need to be alone by myself. The wife won't be with her husband. It'll be so overwhelming emotionally to them that it was Jesus all along, the ones they pierced. What do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Give us Barabbas. Well, what about Jesus? Pilate declared him innocent four times. And they said, Crucify him. And if you turn to verse 6, one of the Jewish people will talk to Jesus and say, some will say to him, well, what are these wounds in your hands? Where did they come from? How did you get those? And he'll answer, I got those. I was wounded in the house of my friends. That's going to have to pierce their heart like words cannot describe. All this time, it was Jesus if you look down, uh, verse 8, a very, very difficult verse to read, but the reason we know that it's a third that is saved is because in verse 8, the Antichrist actually kills two-thirds. It'll come to pass in the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds shall be cut and off and die. One-third will be left, and I will bring the one-third through the fire will refine them as silver is refined and tested them as gold is tested. Well, we identify with that. The Lord said uh, that he's going to test your faith. Well, how? Put you through a fiery trial. Well, what's that like? Well, it's like refining gold. You get it really, really hot, and all the junk comes to the top, and you scrape it off, and you have a pure piece of gold. That's what happened to the prodigal. He says, Dad, I want to go sow my wild oats. Give me my inheritance now. And so he did, They wasted it partying, women, whole nine yards until he spent it all. And if had any money left, he ends up in a pig pen. And uh, he was actually thinking, eating what, what the pigs were eating. And then it said he came to his senses. And he says, this is crazy. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to say, Dad, I blew it. But he had to be afflicted before he looked up. He had to be in the pig pen before he would go home. And you know the story. He's going to come back just hoping to be hired on as a hand. Dad sees him coming. Don't you know Dad was up every morning looking down that long road, waiting for his son to come home? And when he comes, he says, kill a fatted calf, throw a party, get a robe, give him a ring. My son was dead. But he's home and he's alive. And what we have here is, is that same uh, sort of emotion as Israel is. We're finding here that one third of them, that's what it takes. They're being refined in, in the fire. And then they will call upon my name. That's another way of saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what did the Lord say? I'm not coming back. You won't see me. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How is that accomplished? By going through the fire. And it says so right here. One third will be tried until they're so down, they will look up and call upon me. All right, here's the question that I'll throw before you this morning. Let's make it personal. I'm not going to ask for any hands or anything like that. But how many of you had to be broken before you called on the name of the Lord? How many of you had to go through the fire? You were so far down that you finally looked up. Many of you. Now the Bible also said it's the goodness of the Lord that leads men to repentance. You might say, Dwight, you don't know my past. And I would look right back at you and say, you don't know mine. (laughs) But I bet you mine was worse than yours. And if you asked Pat Gohan, he would agree with me. And if you want to know about him, I'd be glad to tell you about him, too. No, Pat and I, we were part of the sixty generation and did everything that was involved with it. And we were heathens to the core. And so if you're here this morning and you think that you've crossed the line, there's no possible way, well, i got good news for you. Jesus went out of his way to find a gal who had been married five times and was living in sin. and um, And then the woman caught in adultery, They wanted to stone her. Um, But Jesus, when he got rid of the accusers, said to the woman, where are your accusers? She says, none here, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. You you better go and get six months of counseling, and I think by then everything will be fine. (laughs) Is that what he said? No. He just said, stop it. Don't do it anymore. And when you come to Christ, that's what the Lord is saying: Stop it! What you did is wrong, and you know it. And man up, and admit that I'm a sinner. But the good news is, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He's He already knows you're a sinner, and so all you have to do is agree with Him, uh, that you are exactly who He says—a sinner that needs His grace. Example of of the timeline: That how many of you had to be broken? before you actually came to him. You know that God has a timeline for you? Um, I have an appointment on the 15th of this month. I have a little card in my wallet. It has the date and the time for my haircut. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, Dwight, you never get a haircut. (laughs) But I am getting one, but I have a card. And on it is an appointment. It has a date and it has a time. The Bible says, it's been appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Do you know that God has an appointment? If the Lord doesn't come for us in the rapture, that you have an appointment? And nothing's going to change it? You know? I can change this one by making a phone call. I can't change the other one. Everybody has an appointment. And when, when that appointment comes, it comes. And either you're saved And your sins are forgiven, or you die in your sins, and you stand before the great white throne in judgment, where the books are opened, and everything you ever said, did, thought, is all recorded. We have the technology to do that today. How much more the creator of the universe that can remember everything, and he has it all written down. You say, What do I need to do to be ready? You know, the disciples asked the same question to Jesus in John 6. The disciples came to the Lord and said, Lord, what do we need to do to do the works of God? The Lord said, Jesus said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Period. Amen for that one? That means you can't add anything to it. You're not a part of the equation. It's either by grace, the Bible says, or by works. But you can't have the two cross. So if he did all the work, then what can I do? He says one thing. He says, you can offer me to sacrifice of praise. If you love me, you'll study my word. You'll, he said, come and learn of me. I'm, I'm meek and I'm lowly and I'm gentle of heart and spirit. And you'll find peace for your soul. When the Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what he's talking about. It has nothing to do with you. And you can actually be free as a bird. Even though we sin from day to day. First 1 John nine 1 says, if we confess our sin, what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us. You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to go to a man. The Bible says there's one mediator, right? One between God and man. And I got direct access. He's my best friend. Oh, I don't take that lightly or irreverently. He's king of king and lord of lords. He's God. But he calls me his bride. And when you see all this and the love that's involved with it, to not come to Christ, you're a fool. Uh, Some of the most educated people in the world are not born again. I call them educated fools. Because God has chosen the simple and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And that's... You know, Pat and I are good examples of that, of, um, of God's grace, let's just put it that way, <laughs> without getting into detail. But that's how, that's all the Lord told the disciples. You have one, one job, to believe that when I said it is finished, that means all your sins, past, present, and future. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you can be free. And you can have eternal life, but it's your free will call. He will not twist your arm. He is a perfect gentleman. And he will speak truth, and you're either going to accept it or reject it. John 3 says people don't want to accept it because they like the darkness rather than the light. They don't want to come to the light because they like sin, because sin is pleasurable. Here's the thing, though. You're going to have to give an account of it if it's not forgiven. Let's close this morning with 1 Corinthians 15. With the gospel. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. We started uh, Corinthians, I um, know we were in chapter 7 on Saturday morning men's prayer, but in chapter 15, we have Paul declaring the, the gospel. Chapter 15, verse 1 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by Peter, or Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, that would have been his half brother, and then by all the apostles. Uh, then, last of all, he was seen—last uh, of all—he was seen by me also, one who was born out of due time. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple: that he died, according to the scriptures, for your sins, to prove he was God. He rose again after three days, and then he hung around for the next 40. And he appeared to all these people to, to show he was the first one who had a resurrected body. And the very night of his resurrection, the disciples were all f- afraid and fearful in this one room, and he disappears right in front of them. Thomas wasn't there. And um, when the Lord leaves, he just disappears. Thomas shows up. And he says, the Lord is alive. He's here. And, you know, good old Downing Thomas from Missouri. (laughs) He says, forget about it. Not unless I put my hands in those holes. Not unless I put my hand in his side. Guess who was listening all the time? One week later, same scene. Well, this time Thomas is there. And all of a sudden, poof, resurrected bodies are going to be great. Can't wait to get mine. And all of a sudden, he goes right for Thomas. He called him out. He said, Thomas, come on over here. He says, I want you to put your hand in these holes in my hand. Then I want you to take your hand and I want you to put it into my side. Thomas, don't be doubting, but believing. And then he says something for you and I. Thomas says, My Lord and my God. He says, Thomas, oh, now you believe, huh? He said, More blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You know who that includes? That includes me and you. Because we're saved by faith, right? Faith is a th- substance of things hoped for, but we haven't seen him. I've never seen Jesus face to oh, face. I know his voice really well. But someday, uh, we look through this glass darkly now, we, we watch it all come together. The bottom line is, are you ready or not? And as I've said many times, I would not cross that street unless I knew for sure that my name is in the book of life and I'm going to heaven. Because I know way too much about what the great tribulation is. And I know very well that I have friends that aren't going to make it to heaven. They're going to be in hell. And um, so we are starting the book of Hosea, but I wanted to take this morning and show you Connect the dots that we have three verses in Hosea that gives us information in detail that you don't have in Daniel or Revelation, And he just gives them the ultimatum, he says, "I'm going back to heaven, not coming back until you admit it that I really am the Messiah." Now you're going to go through some hard times, and but you're going to come around. And when you come around and you call upon my name, then I'm going to come back. And then, as it says on the third day, yeah, you're going to live with me. The church has a different place than who he's talking to here. And that's a whole other study within itself, and I'm going to let it go with that. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you as we get into uh, our new study in the book of Hosea. And Lord, as... um, as we take it in this morning, we see that you have a timeline and that um, it's all going to be fulfilled exactly as you've laid it out. and Nothing or anybody, including the devil himself, can stop your timeline from unfolding. Lord, we're so grateful because it reassures us. It gives us a peace that no matter what we're going through, that there's heaven in front of us. And this is the worst that it'll ever be uh, for us because in your house are many mansions where there's no more sorrow, nor pain, nor death. And Lord, in closing this morning, I pray for anybody who's not born again that has not received you as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray that um, as your word says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but be soft-hearted and accept Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. I pray for that one this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.